You're listening to Women Making Waves. We wanted to find interesting pastimes and pursuits. And the first thing that we found was quite an interesting concept, actually, about unhurried conversations. It's run by someone called Johnny Moore. He started this idea of just getting together and people not interrupting you. You know, being able to speak for a period of time until you were finished, uninterrupted and and in an unhurried manner. It's an art, isn't it, sometimes? This is the just art sit, of conversation. The art of conversation, to sit back and listen and not always have an answer before you actually hear that person speak. Exactly. Because you might change your mind. Mm-hmm. As we're doing now, Linda. As we are. We're very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'll be listening now to Johnny Moore, who is going to be talking to Linda Ness. If you are the only person speaking, you really do realise that you are being listened to, not just by one person, but by several people. And I think that experience of really being heard is quite rare for us, and I think it's very calming. I'm joined by Johnny Moore, who will be talking about unhurried conversations. In this rushed world, I thought that this was an interesting idea, so I thought we'd get Johnny in for Women Making Waves to tell us all about it. Hi, Johnny. Hello. So tell me all about Unhurried, because I believe, and this is my words, not yours, that you are the mastermind behind this idea. I guess I'm the one to blame. I'm the one who started (laughs) it. Um, Its origins are in a conversation I had with a friend of mine from Cambridge called Anthony Quinn, and we're both... Uh, fans of improv theatre. We like watching it and we occasionally perform it. Uh, And we were having a conversation about what we loved about it, but we also found ourselves talking about when it doesn't work, uh, which is actually quite excruciating either to watch (laughs) or to perform. And it was Anthony who said that he realised that the performances that didn't work for him were when they were rushed. And in a rushed improv theatre performance, the actors sort of trip over each other. Or you get scenes in which there are too many ideas building into a slightly frantic Yeah, and confusing, yes. Yeah, so you end up with a scene that started out as a harmless conversation between two decorators. By the end is travelling to Mars on marshmallow motorbikes, as, as I put it. So he said he thought good improv was unhurried. And almost as soon as he said the word, both of us realised that that actually had a lot of power for us. Um, And we started talking about how we thought unhurried would be a really useful quality to strive for in life and in work. And that conversation stayed with us. We kept on having it. And I realised that it reminded me of a conversation process that's been around for millennia, basically, used in ancient tribes to have conversations where they use something they call a talking stick or a talking piece. And that means if you're holding this talking stick, you speak for as long as you wish, And when you finish, you put the stick down and someone else picks it up and speaks and means that no one ever interrupts anyone. And I've used it occasionally before. And I thought, you know, it would be quite fun to retake that ancient ritual and bring it to the modern world and call it an unhurried conversation. Mm -hmm. So we started one in Cambridge as an experiment. I think the first one we invited a few friends and rented a room and did it. And it was very satisfying. And then I decided to put it on Meetup, which is this website where it's easy to form groups to stage events. And we found a good location and we got in the habit of hosting it roughly twice a month. Uh, And to begin with, sometimes it was just Anthony and me sitting there. It was quite funny because we'd look at each other and realise we were both a little bit disappointed that more people hadn't come. But then we said, (laughs) but 
that's fine. There's no rush. We don't. This doesn't need to build fast. We can have an unhurried conversation. So I think one time we literally did just the two of us. But gradually word spread and people started to find out about it. And I, and I think now each time anywhere between maybe seven or eight and sometimes 14, 15 people, occasionally 20, show up in this coffee shop of a weekday morning and we use this simple talking piece process to have so an unhurried So have you got the talking stick then? Is that what you use? So... I actually quite deliberately don't have a big ancient ceremonial (laughs) significant object, as some people do. I don't have the ancient stone that gives us power. I actually really aim to use the most mundane object I can find, a sugar bowl or a menu card in the coffee shop, because I don't want to invest the object with magical properties. The the magic is in us. It's in the human beings. Mm -hmm. So I think the more ordinary the object is, the better. I can think of people I know that if they had free reign to talk... It would be pretty awful. Does it? Does that sometimes happen? You like to say that. You're, you're, <laughs> you're. But let me reassure you, Linda. You are by f- certainly not the only person who harbours that fear. Uh, many people <laughs> coming for the first time are secretly thinking that might be the case. I nearly always get a laugh when I say in my introduction to the conversation, you might be thinking, what happens if someone grabs this menu and talks for an hour and a half? It has never ever happened. It's never come close to happening in my experience. But I say, if it did, I would choose to relax. Imagine that I'd paid money to come to an Alan Bennett monologue and see if I could enjoy the performance. (laughs) And I suppose what I'm getting at, I think for me personally, why I feel that this is such a personal project for me, is that I see it as my work to practice being unhurried in response to stress. Mm -hmm. So if someone talks an hour and a half, well, I have a choice to make and I can choose to not hurry and be relaxed about it. And then then there's, I think, there's a kind of almost sort of spiritual logic. As soon as you stop worrying about it, you you reduce the odds of it happening. That's strange, really, but I, I guess it's true. And I guess people might sense, if they were rambling on a bit too much, they might sense by the faces around them potentially. I, I think one they of the glaze really, over and fall asleep. I think although it seems like a very simple process, some very, very powerful things happen that are different from our normal everyday lives. And uh, one is that if you are the only person speaking, you really do realise that you are being listened to, not just by one person, but by several people. Mm-hmm. And I think that experience of really being heard is actually quite rare for us and I think it's very calming and I think that means that people who might otherwise be very repetitive and go on at great length are calmed and don't and focus and they're aware of their own voice they sense that they're being heard and and, and they almost catch themselves if they're being repetitive and Mm -hmm. they become more conscious of their speech and they feel the power of their speech and in my experience that makes them more eloquent less repetitive and much less likely to to go on and on and on. Yeah, I like this idea. Now, the conversation itself, do you start it off with an idea or do you just kind of go open floor, first person, bang? I always do an introduction where I remind everyone of the rules because usually there's at least one newcomer. Most often we don't have a set theme or I say in effect the theme is whatever is on your mind. And that means that we might have several different things raised by different people because we don't require people to join in on what the previous person said. If the first person talks about, let's say, for example, Brexit. Mm -hmm. I wondered if that was going to be mentioned. The next person is welcome to talk about their cat if that's what they would like. Mm -hmm. Cats come up quite often. 
So normally I don't have a theme and this has been another way in which it's been a fantastic education to me because I my I earn my living as a facilitator so my job is to organize meetings and of course in my professional work it would be taken as an absolutely vital that we have an agenda or a theme for the meeting and yet yeah. I find in unhurried when you don't set a theme the theme takes care of itself and we have wonderful connected conversations where by the end you can see several different themes have been raised but you often find that they're all connected. Do you ever learn something that really surprises you in these conversations? I think the thing that continues to surprise me is how much people are willing to share about themselves in a group of, I guess it's a group of friendly strangers. Mm -hmm. they, it creates a kind of intimacy that you might not get with people you know well. Um, and it's not obviously, it's not predictable. But I have sometimes done them where we, we, people have shared really heartfelt stuff often about what's been a struggle or difficult for them in their life. Sometimes they're sharing stories of experiences which are absolutely hilarious that you might never have guessed. I often have the experience of sitting with a group of people and then being amazed by the stories of the lives that they've led. These mm -hmm. apparently, and I'm putting sort of quotes around it, ordinary people turn out to have extraordinary you know, lives. I don't think there's such a thing as an ordinary person. I've discovered that with doing interviews and interviewing lots of people. I have this sense that you could go out into the street, pick somebody out at random, and if you ask them the right questions, you'll find out the most extraordinary things about them. I, I think you're right. I think there's something... I feel slightly tearful even talking about it because I think there's so much more to us then we realise in our frantic, hurried lives where mm. we we have a culture that means we're quite prompted to tend to use each other. We buy things from each other. We're there to transact with each other. And I think we're missing a lot of the um, the richness that's possible in, yeah. in our uh, relationships with each other. And I think Unhurried gives us a little bit of a glimpse of, of, of what's possible. It almost sounds therapeutic, actually, what you're talking about, for someone to go along and do this and listen and talk. Some people do use that word to describe it. You know, we have regulars who say they find it therapeutic. And I understand what they mean. At least I think I do. I mean, I think it's comforting. I think it, it, it feeds a need for connection that isn't otherwise being met. And at the same time, the interesting thing is that there's very rarely any attempt by anybody in the conversation to, to, to kind of work on people or offer them solutions the groups seem to understand that that's not what we're doing. We're not here to, to, to treat each other. So it, it's not like I would imagine a 12-step meeting to be. Uh, and I'm not for a moment suggesting there's anything wrong with those meetings. I, I, I understand that they're very powerful. This is different. So I think it, it feels like some people will use the word therapeutic to describe it because the way I would interpret that is, is that it's, it's, it's a healing thing to be present to a conversation with people and find out what I sometimes feel like saying at the end, and it, and it might sound slightly odd, is I come out sometimes thinking it turns out that we are enough for each other, mm. that our experiences are enough. In a way, we may not need as much fixing as we think. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think this sounds like a fabulous, fabulous idea. Do you find that the group is growing and growing and growing? It seems, to, I think it's sort of a settled, you know, as I said, seven or eight is at the low end, sometimes 15, occasionally 20. And it's gradually being picked up in other parts of the world because yes. uh, people discover it online and have a chat to me about it or occasionally a friend of mine somewhere else in the world has a go. So 
this process is now being run in Sydney once a month. Uh, a friend of mine is running in Bangalore in India. Another friend of mine runs one in Olympia, Washington. A friend who I met online through talking about this runs a group in Santa Cruz. A professional friend of mine has just started one in Ipswich. So in a very, very unhurried way, I think the idea <laughs> is, is getting picked up in different parts of the world. Is it just conversations or do you think you could extend this to unhurried walks, unhurried cycle? You could almost have a franchise of this, really, couldn't you? We have done a, a couple of unhurried walks, actually. And have I, you? It's a good reminder to me to do them again because they were quite fun. And... Um, I'm, I, I have found, because I've been doing this for five years, I've kind of deepened my sense of what unhurried is. So in my work now, I am using this word unhurried in, in slightly different contexts. So in part of my professional life, I'm a, I'm a tutor at the uh, side business school at Oxford University, uh, where I, I help them w with running one of their leadership programs. And in my tutor group, I talk about unhurried leadership. Uh, and I've started writing about unhurried leadership and not leadership in the sense, sense of being some fantastic, heroic, charismatic figure, but really being what I sometimes call the reluctant leader, the person who feels that, that, that they're not perhaps qualified to do mm -hmm. it, but no one else is volunteering. So I will. Um, and, and so for me, the unhurried idea extended to leadership is a way of, of humanizing the idea of leadership so that you so that you don't try to be a hero because that often leads you actually to be a villain. Yes. In fact. Yes. Um, it encourages you to bring more of your humanity to the work. Um, and I guess I guess Unhurried for me has been partly about um, slowing down enough to see other choices that we don't see when we're panicking. Um, so, so if I extend it to leadership it's, uh, or to my life, it's just slowing down enough to see more choices and realise I have more flexibility. I don't just have to don't have to go on autopilot. Yeah. No, I think this this sounds great because I think we are becoming far too rushed in everything we do. There's no time to smell the roses, as they say. So how do people get in touch with you if they're interested in joining this group? Um, the easiest thing would be just, I think, if you type Unhurried Cambridge into Google, it will take you to the website. Or if you want to type the website in, it's at meetup.com. If you search for it on meetup.com, you'll find Unhurried Cambridge there. And um, at the moment, we've got a date in the diary for, for the next one uh, in, in a few days' time. And I drop them in every yeah, roughly every couple of weeks. Uh, it's not always the same day of the week because we're trying to sort of cater for people who, who can come on some days and not others. And one one final question. When you're sitting there in your cafe, there must be people around you who are not part of this group and wondering what the heck's going on. Did you find that? We're quite lucky in that in the, where we go is, seems to be fairly quiet in the mornings. But funnily enough, no, I don't think people pay, pay a great deal of heed. I think they're, they're probably they, too they busy on their phones. <laughs> they might be dimly aware, but they're they're busy with their own conversations and lives well it sounds like a great idea and i'm really really pleased to speak to you johnny moore thank you very much for coming in thank you for having me and that was linda ness talking to johnny moore